This is Commissioner Sam Cho calling to order of the Port of Seattle Audit Committee uh, special meeting. Today is Thursday, September 8th, 2022, and the time is 2.33 p.m. We are meeting today at the Port of Seattle Headquarters, Commission Chambers, and virtually via the Teams platform. Present with me today are committee members, Commissioner Hamdi Mohammed and public member uh, Sarah Holstrom. Uh, to make this meeting more accessible to the public, the meeting is being live streamed and digitally recorded and may be viewed or heard at any time on the port's website. A call in telephone number has been provided for anyone who would like to listen into the meeting. Our first item of business is approval of our last meeting minutes from June 17th, 2022. Are there any uh, corrections to the minutes? None. Okay, are there any objections to the approval of the minutes as presented? Hearing none, the minutes are approved. Moving on in the agenda, item three, our next order of business is the Office of the Washington State Auditor 2021 Accountability Audit Opening. Mr. Fernandez, please introduce our speakers for today. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner, uh, I'm gonna call up Joe Simmons and Angela Funamori from the State Auditor's Office. Both of them have been doing our audit for quite a few years now. Um, so um, Joe is uh, the program manager and Angela's assistant state auditor. So welcome, Angela and Joe. And it uh, looks like Michelle's got your presentation up. So uh, just ask her to move the slides forward as when you require. With that, I'll hand it to you. Thank you, Glenn. And thank you, committee members, for your time today for us to present our entrance conference for annual accountability audit. First slide, just as Glenn said, my name's Joe Simmons. I'm the audit manager for Team Central King County. We audit all the local governments within the city of Seattle, city limits. And Maddie Frost Schaefer will be the audit supervisor. She wasn't able to be here today, but she will supervise the audit again this year, as she has for the last two years. And Angela is the audit lead, the auditor in charge of the audit, and she'll be leading the audit again as she's done for the last two years. And on the next slide, just an overview about our office. As you know, this is our entrance for our accountability audit. We perform accountability audits all around the state for all local governments. We also conduct audits of financial statements and federal single audits. Of course, as you know, you are audited by Mass Adams for your financial statement and federal single audit. And we will go ahead and be reviewing the work done by Mass Adams in preparation for our accountability audit. But just kind of overview of all the audits we conduct, close to 3,000 audits in 2021 alone. And then I'll go ahead and hand it over to Angela for the next slide to talk a little bit more about the communications during the audit. So. Next slide, please. Thank you, Joe. Uh, before we get into the audit process, uh, we'd like to take a moment to briefly touch on the important roles that the governing body, management, and the auditors play. Uh, it's important to note that each of these roles have distinct responsibilities for the port, some of which we've summarized on the slide for you. First, governance starts at the top. The governing body involves ensuring ongoing oversight is applied to the port as a whole, establishing strategic direction onto what the priorities of the port are, making decisions that are transparent to the public, establishing a culture of accountability in all levels and carrying out the port's mission. 
Often it can be thought as the uh, setting the direction of the port and monitoring to ensure the organization stays on course. For management uh, also plays a key role in being responsible for carrying out the directions of the governing body and monitoring day-to-day -day operations. Often they're involved in establishing the specific procedures and programs to carry out the overall decisions of the governing body. This also involves managing the port's finances, uh, preparing financial statements, and establishing proper uh, internal controls to carry out all of operations. And so management must work closely with the governing body uh, to periodically report on the results of the operations and provide reliable information. And finally, uh, the auditor's role is to conduct an independent examination on whether the port is in compliance with various financial, federal, and state requirements, as well as its own policies and procedures. The audit also considers whether public funds are appropriately safeguarded. However, it is important to note that audits do not provide absolute assurance. Audits use a risk-based approach and select specific programs, transactions, and financial balances and other activities for review. And so the end result is to report on the effectiveness of activities examined and whether there are areas that need additional oversight or correction. And then on the next, on the next slide, Uh, we will be performing the accountability audit that will cover fiscal year 2021. We'll review management's use and safeguarding of public resources and evaluate the port's compliance to applicable state laws, regulations, and its own policies and procedures. And so at this time, we also want to share that we do not have our audit scope identified. Um, however, we will inform the management team after we complete our, our planning procedures. And next is the work of other auditors. It is professional standards that we consider the work performed by other auditors. Uh, Moss Adams performed the financial statement, uh, the port's financial statements in the federal single audit. So during the planning stages of our audit, we will review and consider those reports and the work performed. Uh, just as a reminder, accountability audits differ in scope from financial statements and single audits where the focus of accountability is to evaluate the compliance with laws, regulations, and the government's policies. And so due to the objectives of the accountability audit, uh, if during our audit we examine some of the same areas previously, previously covered, uh, we'll ensure to provide a different approach and uh, we'll ensure that we do not duplicate work already performed. And the next is uh, staying connected. So an important role of the office is to continuously communicate uh, between our audit staff and yours. And so there are a number of ways that we strive to stay connected uh, throughout the audit process of which we've highlighted uh, some of the key methods for you today. And so the first one I'd like to know is the pre-audit meeting. Uh, this is where we like to share information that might be helpful for the upcoming audit, um, introduce the audit team, and provide extra lead time on making sure any questions are answered uh, and records are ready by the time the audit begins. Then at the start of our audit, we will also provide an engagement letter, which will be signed by our office and yours. This letter outlines the upcoming audit and expectations for each party, and it is helpful tool for you to be notified on what to expect during the audit process. 
And then what we typically like to uh, conduct in the early stages of the planning audit or of the audit is request meetings with several members of the management team and the governing body to conduct risk assessments. And these meetings are very useful for us in uh, meeting one-on-one -on -one and better understand, observe, observe, and any risks that we should be aware of of the port. Another key method that we like to use is the weekly status meetings. Uh, this is where we recurrently meet with the audit liaison uh, where we just have an overview of the audit. Um, this is a great opportunity for us to discuss what areas have been complete, uh, what is in process or not yet started, or if we have any questions or concerns of anything that arises during the audit. And then once we near the completion of the audit, we also request a signed uh, representation letter where this confirms representations made to us by the port. These representations are important to ensuring that our audit considered all information and that no information have been withheld um, to our staff for your knowledge. And lastly, we are committed to ensuring you have the opportunity to hear directly from us on the results of the audit. And so we will work with management to schedule an exit conference meeting and invite all governing body members to attend our report out. And so we'd also like to note that uh, if a quorum of governing body members plan to attend, the port is responsible for ensuring the Open Public Meetings Act requirements are satisfied. So on the next slide, uh, we have the levels of reporting. And so if there are any recommendations, our office has three levels of reporting. Uh, the first one is findings, which are formally addressed significant deficiencies and material weaknesses and are included in the audit report. During this time, the port will be given an opportunity to respond and the response will be included as part of the audit report. Management letters communicate control deficiencies. However, this level is less significant than a finding. Management letters are formally communicated to the governing body and management letters are referenced, however, not included in the audit report. And then lastly, uh, exit items are control deficiency that have an insignificant effect on the audit objective. So these recommendations are not included in the audit report and are informally to, communicated to management, almost like housekeeping items. Uh, next is important information. So we'd also like to take the opportunity to share a few reminders with you today about our audit. So our office remains committed to protecting and safeguarding uh, your confidential data. So we recognize that the audit may have a need to review sensitive information, uh, such as employee payroll records. And so just please let us know that the data contains sensitive information uh, so we can ensure that the data is adequately uh, safeguarded during the process. In the entrance packets, uh, you'll find that the estimated cost of the audit uh, this estimate is on track with previous estimates and will be included in the engagement letter. Uh, should there be any concerns about the audit process, please know that we have an established process for you to voice these concerns. So our audit dispute process is designed to provide you with access to prog progressive levels of management within our organizations to hear your concerns. So we encourage you that you start with Joe, our audit our local audit manager, but please know that contacts for additional representatives have been included in your packet, um, all the way up to the state auditor. 
And lastly, we'd also like to remind our governments about loss reporting requirements. Should you become aware of any known or suspected losses of public funds, please note that state law requires that you immediately file a notification of our office. So this process is easy to perform and you can file a notification directly onto our website. And with reporting cybersecurity, uh, state and local governments may also be required to report cybersecurity issues, including security breaches and cyber fraud. Reporting is required to the AGO if a single security incident affects more than 500 Washington residents. Reporting to SEO may also be necessary if the event involves financial records or finances. The requirement to report is not dictated by the number of affected parties, but whether you experience a financial loss. State and local government employees should alert us to suspect fraud and notifications can be made on our website. And I believe a link has been provided on page three of the entrance packet. And then the next question, or next slide, uh, one question that we quite often receive is who audits the state auditor? So while it is only fitting that since we conduct audits as an organization, we also under, undergo um, audits ourselves. And so our office receives an external peer review uh, once every three years by the National State Auditors Association to satisfy government auditing standards. And so a link has been provided to where you can access the most recent peer review results. And uh, the last rating that we received was a pass, which is the highest level of assurance that can be uh, reviewed. So. Thanks. And so now I'll actually pass it back to Joe to go over some available resources. So just a couple more slides here. This next slide just gives an overview of some other services our office provides. We have a local government support team that focuses on helping local governments with the requirements related to accounting and reporting, provides training in that respect, and also we have a help desk for technical questions regarding that. And then we also have the Center for Government Innovation, and that focuses more on process improvement, facilitations. There's workshops provided there that no additional cost to the local government. And we also have the financial intelligence tool that basically takes all the information that's reported by local governments through their annual reports and puts that together in ways that we hope are a little more user-friendly for the citizens to use as far as being able to review the financial performance of local government and compare those to other local governments and we include the email address for that division and then on the next slide just a little bit more information about the center for government innovation that as i said we have some resources there that relate to process improvements and ways that local governments could look at strictly internal controls in various areas from bidding to segregation of duties to payroll. And then also, as Angel mentioned, definitely we definitely have focus on cybersecurity and the risks there. So not just looking at reporting of it, but also looking at ways that we can try to help local governments be aware of the concerns and risks out there. So that's also available on the Center for Government Innovation Resources, which is on our website. And then Lastly, on the last slide, just a couple things that on emerging issues affecting local governments, wanted to mention that we have a 
updated site that we are using for providing sharing data with local governments that's built on SharePoint that's we believe is more user-friendly than the system we used before it's called secure share and we are going to be moving completely over to that new system this month so we've already been working with the port I think on requesting information through secure share and then the second item is that we continually look to ways to improve our website and that includes that resource library I talked about that trying to make it so it's a little easier to find that information we do have a lot of information out there and trying to make it so it's a little bit more of a case people can get to information in one click instead of three and then finally on the last slide wanted to of course leave time for any questions you may have regarding our upcoming accountability audit excellent well thank you so much for being here and for for your presentation are there any questions from our committee members at this time commissioner Mohammed. thank you uh, first of all thank you both for being here and for providing this presentation um, we all appreciate the important work that you guys do for the state um, my question is just uh, is there a timeline I know the work scope hasn't been identified yet um, do you have a timeline when that will happen and how that will be communicated I uh, yes I can let Angela speak to, to a little bit but we definitely want to make sure that we present the overview in you know in accordance with your audit committee schedule so we generally do you know present the overview here and then we'll have just started in on the planning so I would think that we would be able to provide the information about the specific areas I'd say in October would be what we'd be looking at yeah I believe I would say about mid mid to late October and then we would share them with management and then we'd also would share them with you so basically we always try to communicate directly with our audit liaison regarding any areas and then making sure that that is communicated to you as timely as we do determine those great thank you thank you for that answer thank you. and and Commissioner generally um, I believe it's the first audit committee of the year where publicly uh, Joe and team will come and present to you the findings and the final report uh, so we'll as we get closer we'll schedule that out but it'll be sometime in early 2023 I believe for the exit for the exit conference excellent member Holstrom any questions are we good go for it yeah I do have one question um, I saw the fees on here I'm just wondering how long are you guys typically on site like how do you have a certain amount of weeks you usually are here or a certain amount of hours you typically plan to spend or does it based on very based on your plan I would assume it's pretty set since you have audit costs here so just wondering some detail on that oh certainly it's definitely a case of hours so basically short answer the total hours budget is a thousand hours and that's been steady for think at least 10 years now as far as the number of hours mm -hmm. and actually I should mention that when you look at that we also will be doing one very small component of the port this year that has a separate budget of 24 hours which is the industrial development corporation that we're required to audit because it is considered a separate government but we only need to review that every three years so that's also included in the cost in that exit entrance document excellent yes Commissioner Mohammed I have one other question uh, I think you said in the beginning there's already been about 3,000 audits that have happened this year 
Did I hear, did I hear that correctly? Uh, well, actually, I might have misspoke a little bit. That was 2,700. Audit said it happened in 2,700. <laughs> Very close. <laughs> you probably said that roughly. <laughs> Is that a normal sort of amount is what I'm wondering? Uh, I would say so, yes, it can range, but throughout the state with all the various local governments, that includes cemetery districts, oh, that's districts. Oh, across the state. Across the state, yeah, okay, that's okay. again where I could have been clear on that part great, as far that's as that's statewide. Statewide, okay, great, that's helpful, thank you. Sure. <laughs> I'm glad you all round up. All right, if there are no additional questions for the audit team or Mr. Fernandez on this item, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on to the next topic. So uh, I just want to say thanks to Joe and Angela for being here today, for joining us. And uh, you're welcome to stay for the rest of the meeting or whatever you choose to do. So have a good afternoon. Yes, thank, thank you so much for coming. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Item number four on the agenda is quality assurance external peer review result. Glenn, please okay. proceed. Thank you, Commissioner. M Michelle uh, is in the process of pulling up the slides. So next slide, please, Michelle. So commissioners, very much like the SAO, we also have to have an external peer review and be audited on uh, every three years. It's just part of being certified as government auditors. It's a requirement of the GAO. And we also follow the international standards. So we, we do both. And they both require um, an external peer review. The Institute of Internal Auditors, which are the international standards, require us to be peer-reviewed every five years and every year um, internally or periodically, we do it every year. We have to do an internal assessment and make sure that we're up to standards and we don't have any deficiencies. And then from the GAO side um, or the Government Accountability Office side, we have to have an external peer review every three years. So um, this is a fourth peer review that the ports had since uh, the audit department was formed um, in, well, late um, like 2009, 2010-ish. There are three ratings you can get. You can get a pass, which is the highest level of assurance, as Joe and team pointed out. You can get a pass with deficiencies, or you can get a fail. So next slide, please, Michelle. As you can see, the Port of Seattle also got a pass, which is the highest rating that we can get. Um, it's being audited by the auditors. We have an uh, association of local government auditor, auditors, a team that comes in and spends a week looking over our previous three years of work. Um, they'll look at our audit reports, our work papers, and make sure that they're in line and they're compliant with standards. They you know, doing this also strengthens our credibility with the, the public and our stakeholders because you're certified as complying with standards. And so it, it's, it's good from a publicity perspective, a credibility perspective, to have this every three years. And it's a best practice also. Or, you know, if you don't do this, then you can't say in your audit reports that we're in compliance with government standards. Oh, we performed this audit in compliance with government standards. You've got to modify your report. So with that, um, you know, I'll move on unless there are any questions, but I'll keep moving. The, the next thing, and, and this, commissioners, requires a vote at the end of my presentation, but one of the things we do, and this is a best practice as well, not only do we get our budget approved by the organization, we also bring it forward to the audit committee. And the reason we do that is to make sure that um, 
you know, that, that management doesn't curtail bu budget resources uh, for an audit function. So, um, you know, in order for us to complete our work objectively and get and independently and get adequate coverage, we want to be transparent uh, to you and to the public as to what we're spending and, um, you know, alert you if there's any concerns or we don't have adequate resources. So, um, you know, I'm happy to say as we move forward with this that, um, you know, there are no concerns on my part. We have gotten everything we've requested. Uh, most of our stuff is pretty basic um, so uh, or required by law. So I'll, I'll start with, you know, the, the top item staffing. We have our staff and our payroll costs. We've got an open position that I'll talk about today that we have to fill that we froze during COVID because of the nature of COVID. But um, as the airport and, and the port are back to normal, yeah, we'll, we've got that to fill. But, but our payroll costs are definitely the largest part of our budget because the staff are doing the work. Outside services, a, a big part, we're doing a lot of construction at the airport and throughout the port. And because we're doing so much, um, we, you know, the RCW 3910 requires on GCCM, and I'll explain GCCM in a little bit. It's a general contractor, construction manager type capital projects. Um, the RCW allows you to do that, which is, you know, great, but they also require certain audits of those. And then last but not least, our most valuable resources are staff. So uh, we have to train our staff and keep them up to date with what's going on in the world and the industry so uh, they can perform their work as best they can. As we build our budget, we you know, we start off by following port guidelines. So we're very similar to all other departments in the port. We listen to our executive director, Steve Metric, and what his goals are and his objectives, and we try to build our plan around that. And, uh, you know, the, the team also sets guidelines for the entire port, the finance and budget team, and we, we follow those. We... Um, in, in the case of the RC, um, the outside services costs, there are times when they're long projects that go on multi-years, and um, you know the the um, although in some sense we're considered independent as well, and we strive to be, and that's part of that yellow book certification where we say we get the pass from external auditors saying we're independent and objective. Uh, we also on 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 the construction audit sometimes leverage independent resources from outside. So when I talk about the RCW audits in a little bit, the outside services, um, a lot of those are done in partnership with external resources that work with us, that spend time with the, on the construction project. And finally, our last principle, you know, and, and this is port-wide, it's not really only internal audit, but it's investing in staff development and training. So uh, we, we do follow port guidelines there, and going forward, um, I know a lot of training was curtailed during COVID for the entire port. Um, we had to tighten up uh, our belts a little bit, and, and now as we're returning back to normal, we're trying to open that up back to pre-COVID levels. Next slide, please, Michelle. So, you know, foundation of our budget is also our organizational structure and who we are. We have three teams. We have an operational concession audit team that's led by Dan Chase. We have uh, a capital audit team that's run by, managed by Spencer Bright. 
and uh, we have an information technology team that's led by Bruce Clausal. And they're all here today, or most of them are behind us today, um, and will be speaking on uh, their respective audits as they come up. So without these folks, obviously, you know, it, it would be very hard to get our work done. And, and all of these elements are very important in the port. When, when you look at operational audits, operations of the port, the concessionaires, uh, when you look at capital audits, just the billion dollars in spend a year, which is huge, and, and the amount of money that's going out the door. And information technology, uh, it's becoming more and more to the forefront and more important. And as you heard from the SAO, um, you know, there's all these external bodies now, the SAO, the um, State Attorney General's Office, the federal government that all have oversight and, and want to know what you're doing with cybersecurity these days. So it becomes very important. Next slide, please, Michelle. You know, uh, our department also, from a very high level, um, assures that the port has a control structure that's efficient and effective, that's working to uh, mitigate business risk. And we provide um, assurance to the public and, and to you that certain you know, key controls are working. They're assurance services. We can't look at 100% of everything, but we, you know, through what we look at, we do um, work to make sure controls are efficient and effective. From to the effect extent that it doesn't compromise our independence, we, we're also advisors to the port, and we help the port out in a numerous uh, variety of ways. So um, we, we serve on leadership teams, we serve on uh, advisory panels that help out, and in, in, in for instance, um, during COVID, we helped out with um, identifying what FEMA needs were for the port so we could get appropriate FEMA funding. And, build up inroads there when we couldn't do audits. So, so we do try to help the port out in, in whatever ways we can um, and um, you know, use our expertise and our knowledge wisely to benefit the business. And finally, you know, it's a best practice and it's also a requirement to some extent um, for, for a public entity like this, um, but to be independent and objective. And we do that by um, reporting to you, to the Audit Committee formally, and uh, administratively to Steve Metrick, the Executive Director. Okay, next slide, please, Michelle. Thank you. So um, I talked about RCW 3910, you know, and, and a lot of these costs are capitalized with the, with the project. So if we're doing a capital project on the C1 building, for instance, Central Terminal building, um, we, um, the, the whole project is capitalized in our work or any consultant work on that project, it's capitalized with the project. So our costs are like minuscule on a $400 million project, you know, when you charge a $100,000 or $50,000 to the project. But um, one of the things we're doing going forward is we've found a lot of success at the port with GCCM type projects and um, you know if, if you look at the International Arrivals Facility that was a progressive design build type project. Um, the North Satellite for instance was a general contractor construction manager type project and that was more successful or it went more effectively and efficiently than, than you know the progressive design build. And, so because that works for the way the port works, the port has a t is guiding, moving more towards GCCM type projects, and you'll see a lot of them going forward. 
Now, the legislature allows us to do those, but the legislature also says through RCW 3910 that, you know, okay, you can do those, but we need these certain controls in place. And one of the controls, it says, when when the general contractor selects subcontractors through independent means, alternative methods, so um, not traditional methods, when they do that, you know, they want, the legislature wants independent audits um, to confirm the proper costs are accrued correctly and, and what the subcontractors are charging up are accurate. So, um, you know, although those are reviewed through a variety of means internally at the port, this independent function is also a requirement that uh, we manage and we facilitate. So we'll, when we go into our budget, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and as I mentioned also, these independent costs are capitalized with the project. So you'll see them come into our budget and leave out for transparency. We put them in our budget so they're not just rolled into that $400 million project and as a dot point zero 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 something rounding issue that you never see anywhere. So we're transparent in what we spend and uh, we'll point that out today. So next slide please, Michelle. For instance, in uh, 2023, we'll have four ongoing GCCM projects that are all relatively large. These are, you know, many of these are in the tens of millions of dollars, and uh, the Concourse C expansion is, you know, it's one of the larger ones. It's huge. Um, there, there's more coming down the pipeline in 2024, 2025. So, we. Um, have already worked with a Wimby firm, well, through normal procurement processes, we bid this out to a firm that will partner with us um, through the course of these. And um, it just so happened that the winning firm was a Wimby firm that will be doing this work with us. Um, so what, what we're anticipating spending in 2023 on uh, the main terminal low voltage on Concourse C and an airline re realignment and also um, concourse B, C, and D low voltage upgrades that we're, we'll be doing. Um, it's roughly about $189,000, so extremely small. Um, and then um, the remaining 116000 is just for that additional head that we'll be um, filling that we froze during COVID as concession business gets back to normal. Next slide, please. Thank you, Michelle. Um, a little more detail. Um, I think I've spoken a lot about the general contract construction management, construction manager independent audits. Uh, the, the top bullet points, items one through four, are described a little bit more there. And then um, the port has about 125 tenants, which generate about 130 million in concession sales um, in pre-pandemic vo volume, and they'll probably be higher going forward because of all the expansion we've done. We also have numerous, a vast array of other leases that um, are within our audit universe. And, uh, you know, during COVID, a lot of those tenants weren't operating, so it was okay to not look at them um, and not spend a lot of time and energy there. But, um, you know, a lot of their revenue is self-reported to the port, and, you um, and based on that self-reported revenue, they pay their related concession fees to the port. So our process goes out and makes sure that that self-reported revenue and uh, you know payments are accurate and uh, re correctly reflect what we're owed. So kind of like um, 
yeah, a, a continuous auditing cycle. And it also keeps everyone aware, everyone else aware that this process exists. So uh, you know, never know when you're going to be audited. Um, so when you do report and pay the port your required revenues, uh, let's make sure they're accurate. Next slide, please, Michelle. Okay. So what, one of the key things I said on our travel is um, employee training and development related costs. Uh, our 2022 budget was relatively small and 2021, and prim that was primarily because of COVID. 2021, we took a 50, you know, everyone at the port took a 50% cut, if not more, on their train training budget. And the idea there was, you know, we can't be traveling anywhere we shouldn't be because of COVID, for one. And two, um, you know, the, the port, the grants, the federal grants hadn't come out, such as the CARES Act and the airport funds that, that benefit us. So, um, you know, we, we were able to, Steve was able to sustain us um, as, you know, and, and keep full employment and have really no layoffs or furloughs through the process of COVID. Um, so budgets were cut significantly. In 2023, we're going back to a normal budget. So that 52000 is for training for all of our folks with travel. Uh, for instance, you know, just one IT auditor that has to go to training, um, required training to maintain certifications, cost about $9,000. So, you know, um, with um, 10 auditors out there um, that, that cover this, you know, $52,000 is a very reasonable sum. I will note that, you know, pre-COVID, we were spending per head about the same rate, and this number um, per head is being used port-wide throughout the port for other departments as well. So we're in line with uh, other departments. Next slide, please, Michelle. And this is the last slide. Um, you know, it gives you a trend of where we've been going with our spending. It also shows that outside salaries, outside services are two and training are the largest elements here. Salaries and benefits are just the standard payroll costs for the staff. Outside services are for those GCCM audits that I talked about. And uh, you'll notice that they there's a negative number in total charges to capital at the bottom there, the negative 139,000 in 2023. That's that same number being recapitalized to um, the respective projects. And finally, travel and employee expenses. So those are our key elements. Um, it's a reasonably uh, consistent growth from year to year. Um, if, you know, um, some anomalies that I just want to point out in 2021, I believe there's a big dip downwards, and that's just because it was a huge credit from um, the state on port-wide, so it wasn't just our department. On, um, I think it was for the uh, long-term retirement plan, the pension plan that credits you back when it's overfunded. So it, it doesn't mean that our salaries really dropped for that year. It just means that there was a credit from the retirement system that made that number go down um, in 2021, but otherwise it's, you know, it's been relatively consistent and we've had the same amount of resources. I will now take questions. <laughs> Commissioner Tubb, before you go forward, um, you're on the red script at the bottom of page four, the very last script there. All right, is this uh, number five here? Correct. Okay. 
Uh, okay, item number five on the agenda is a request for approval of the 2020. Well, first, maybe we should go through questions. Yes, that's Do correct. We, if you go down to that last script there, that, that's yeah. where you're at. Thank you for the presentation, Glenn. <laughs> Are there any questions from our committee members? Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about was the travel and employees. So I can see that salaries are up. So I'm like comparing 23 to like 2019. So like pre-pandemic because everything in between is obviously yeah. skewed from COVID. Do you remember or know how many staff you had in 2019? We were down two staff in 2019. Okay. So one less than where we were right now. Okay. Um, so, um, so it was seven to nine, really, because you have yeah. the concession one coming in. Okay. Uh -huh. So that's where you're saying the cost per head is and about the same. Got yeah, it. and and we spent thirty nine thousand. Well, we had budgeted thirty nine thousand dollars. We spent about thirty one, right, two thousand nineteen. So thirty eight fifty eight. Yeah. So okay. so uh, we were a little bit below budget in twenty nineteen because that had in twenty eighteen we spent closer to thirty eight thousand, thirty seven thousand. So, you know. Uh, the intent is, uh, Ms. Holstrom, to, to get employees out and to use that training budget to develop them. Got it. And then uh, when I look at the breakdown of training, it looks like the most of the cost is sitting in registration seminar fees. So I'm assuming you've kind of looked out, like you mentioned, like an IT training and stuff. Like some of the stuff you've had to do, the course you're going to have to take, you've kind of mapped out a price generally for what they'd yeah. be and they're sitting there. Okay. Sounds reasonable. Thank you. Yeah, what we do is... All employees list out their training and what they go research the cost because when we put it into the budget system, you've got to list out what training you want to go to, an estimated cost to get there, and the estimated cost of the training. So that's all available. Excellent. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, I can't remember what slide it was on, um, but I think you mentioned kind of preparing departments or supporting them in understanding the audit process did i hear you correctly so so we always help departments understand i, I believe this the slide that potentially right. we we're talking about um so it's a couple things you know we, we work with audit departments and help them understand the process absolutely but there's also beyond that you know just because we look at so much at the port yep we become experts at a lot of things and we can bring insight and knowledge to things and we have a very skilled staff. So when, when possible, we become advisors and consultants to the port to help them improve controls. That's right, no, thank you for um, pointing to slide six. That, that is the slide that I was actually talking about. Um, we are now seeing um, more port activity in partnering with community organizations like nonprofits um, and uh, sometimes we see situations where a nonprofit organization doesn't really understand the audit process of maybe an organization like the port or um, a government entity. And so I, I'm wondering, are there things in place or could we put some sort of information or resources out there for them to understand like what the expectations are? Um, especially when it comes to an audit. Um, I've seen situations where unintended harm has happened. Um, and so as we um, 
build more partnership with some of our CBOs in the community? How do we make sure that they they also understand how the audit systems work? Oh, I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, and absolutely, I'd be me and my team would be very happy to help out in that. You know, it's it's beyond just that. Not only advising them on audits, especially when we have these programs, but going one step further. Right? I think uh, as in. Um, a lot of these smaller organizations don't have the controls and the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So how can we help them out and, and take it one step further, like when we had the ACH fraud, for example, mm -hmm. right, with Seattle Parks Foundation, Urban League. Um, how do we help them assure that they have strong controls so they're not victims to that? I, I know they have to meet our port requirements as well, but yes, and I'd love to have further dialogue on how we can help out through the year, coming year. and. Um, you know, get the team more involved there. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, especially just to your point around cyber um, security and more hacking that we're seeing. So uh, anything that your team can do to help our CBOs would be really great. And we can incorporate that into the materials that goes out into the contracts with them and so forth. So thanks for being open yeah. to that idea. Noted, and uh, <laughs> we'll drive that. Thank you. <laughs> um, good. Okay. Um, Glenn, you mentioned earlier that the GCCM contracting method requires some other or more scrutinized auditing requirements from the state legislature. Do you know why that is, as opposed to a design bid build or a progressive so, design? So traditionally, it was, um, you know, just governments just had to had one option: design bid. You design it 100 percent, and you bid it out, and then they build it, and right. you can't do anything else. The problem is if you bid. If they, the bids come in really high, you're stuck with that lump sum price, right? You can't benefit from efficiencies or doing something better. With a GCCM, General Con Contractor Construction Manager, you, you bid out just a, a general contractor. Mm -hmm. And then if the projects run efficiently and you come in under, say it's a you know, $500 million project and, and it's run well, you have the ability of, um, of benefiting, and maybe they only spend $400 million. But if they only spend $400 million and, you know, they bid $500 million, that extra $100 million is gone. You don't get it back. So from a cost perspective, the GCCMs are better um, and effic efficiently run, you know, especially at the earlier stages. You might not have a 100% design. Um, mm -hmm. You might, things change. So there's there's so much going on in the background that they found that Actually, that both progressive design build and GCCM type projects are generally more effective when run well. Um, so that's why there was a lot of push to the legislature to allow those to occur, not just, you know, because private industry used to do stuff like that. It was just for the government. So they allowed that, but they put additional controls in place. This is a, a slight digression, but um, there's obviously a lot of debate around which bidding method we should use for what projects and whatnot. And I'm curious if you, uh, if the team has thought about or has a sense of, you know, you know, um, the sure, you know, certain contracting methods might be appropriate for certain size projects versus uh, certain, you know, other size projects, smaller projects, maybe GCCM is not oh, the best and uh, design bid build is because it's not as complicated. So I'm curious if there's like a clear delineation that the team has uh, identified and that we're following. There, there isn't a, you know, a hard, 
and fast rule, but generally in the larger projects nowadays, um, we tend to go, the port as a whole has tends to go GCCM just because we've had more success with that, and that's our skill set, mm -hmm. you know, where it's been working well with us. Um, many organizations outside have had success with progressive design build. You know, we've had one major one which didn't go, so, you know, we had some improvement opportunities. Um, so where we tend to shine more, lean more towards the GCCM. On smaller projects, yeah, we're still doing the, the design bid build. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's still out there. It's not going anywhere. Cool. It, it works fine. And then I think certain, certain government projects, like when you do get government funding from TSA, you know, occasionally they require you to get 100% design before you start a project. Mm -hmm. So if they require that and you've got 100% design, you might want to bid it out that way anyways. So those are all factors that uh, um, the you know, construction management team um, yeah, um, thinks about when they, they go uh, move forward with these projects. It looks like Janice Zahn has her hand up. I'm glad there I was looking go, down. Janice, Janice, do you Janice have has. some comments for us? Oh, I just wanted to check in to make sure it was okay for me to comment. So we actually have um, authority through 3910 to be a, we are a certified owner. We get certified every three years. And as part of that certification, we are allowed to, as a public owner certified, we have a process that we go through where projects are evaluated to determine whether design build GCCM or design bid build is appropriate. And when we get certified, the de procedure by which we make that determination is actually part of the application. Mm -hmm. Because when we're not certified, we actually have to take one project at a time to the project review committee for that committee to approve our project. And it's actually quite a lengthy process of making sure that we are using the same criteria for determining applicability as the state would do as part of the project review committee. So it's, um, I would say it's a very robust process. It's a very collaborative process across many departments at the port, including construction management, project management, our sponsors, as well as our procurement office. So that's an important aspect. And then to comment on the first question you asked about why the audit, um, I have been on the committee where we've debated language changes and the 3910-385, the reason that we have the provision for an independent audit is because those are the costs that are not a hard bid cost. Those, those aspects that are audited are the negotiated costs. So the auditor makes sure that the billing rates that we're paying actually is built up correctly and does not include non-eligible costs. So that's why those independent audits are embedded within the RCW when we use these alternative methods. So I hope that helps. Awesome, thank you, Janice. I appreciate that explanation. Anything else? Great, excellent, thank you, Glenn. We'll go ahead and move on to item five. Commissioner, you do have to approve the budget before oh. moving on. Is there a motion or in a second to recommend approval of the 2023 proposed budget? So moved. Seconded. 
Um, the motion has been made and seconded. Are there any objections to the motion? Hearing none, the motion passes. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. All next, right. Next slide, please, Michelle. Thank you. The next item, and, and this is something you know, we do um, for the benefit of the audit committee and for the public, and, and internally as well for leaders within the port, and it's to know which audit issues have not been addressed or have slipped a little bit. Now, now we saw a little bit of a slippage because of COVID, some of the issues that, you know, or management action plans that slowed down a little bit, um, or priorities got reallocated. And we're seeing that get covered and, and picked up, and we are seeing a little movement on a lot of these, and a lot of these are being closed out. We do have three open issues, one which we talk about and will be discussed in non-public session because it's IT and security sensitive. But the top two are still opened. Um, some progress has been made, um, but um, you know, of, of the 10 issues that are outstanding for over a year, we have um, the port's RE2 policy, which determines how much surety that we, we need to maintain from concessionaires at the airport. That essentially means the state, state law says you have to have this much money a year's or several months worth of uh, revenue and surety from every concessionaire. But the commission can override that and say, you know, the commission determines that this is reasonable. Well, uh, RE2 needs to be updated, and uh, the team has been um, overwhelmed with uh, COVID grant programs at the airport right now um, and working with concessionaires. It is a priority for them, but they need to bring that to commission for approval and get that <coughs> updated because it's been uh, many years and, and uh, little. Not we're not in compliance with either port policy, RE2, or state law right now. And, and although it is a priority, we do need to address that sooner or later. The second item, architectural and engineering. Um, Fair and reasonable rates, this is an audit we did uh, pre-COVID again, and there's a little bit of work that needs to be done on management si side. This, you know, um, again, got pushed back. And uh, still, still in the process, it's still a, a concern to us, uh, but uh, we're highlighting it for you. Overall, when, when you look at all of the issues, like I mentioned earlier, there has been some movement and some of the outstanding issues have been cleaned up, but um, you know the two that I mentioned still need to be addressed. Any uh, questions on follow-up? Nope. They were good. Okay. Then I will move on to the next slide. So commissioners, this is a bird's eye view of our entire audit plan for 2022. These are the audits that uh, we'll be completing in limited contract compliance as a concessionaire's operational, which includes capital and information technology. Um, you know, I think the next slide I'll show that we're essentially on track for um, completing the entire audit plan through the year. This is just the audits in a Gantt chart. We picked up an additional audit because of the ACH uh, Payment card fraud that uh, payment fraud that we had, and uh, we moved payroll controls down to next year because we were asked by uh, the accounting and finance director to defer it to next year because of 
you know, uh, impacts to his to the resources within AFR. So we agreed to do that. But everything else, um, in everything green's been completed, and everything in yellow is on track to be completed before the end of the year. So everything there is on on track. Excellent. I'm, I'm going to move on to audits, unless anyone has questions. Yeah. Any questions? Nope. All right. Cruising through here. Okay. Commissioners, for this, we've got three audits that we'll be talking about. North Satellite Renovation Expansion Project, which, by the way, was a GCCM project. Um, the Security Incident Response Management, which is an IT audit. Uh, the only reason we're discussing this here today is because it was a clean audit and there's nothing security sensitive that we deemed that was security sensitive that required a separate non-public session. We'll talk about that more, and Avis budget rental car. So as we move to the next slide, Spencer Bright, our audit manager, wasn't able to join us today, so I'm going to ask Jennifer Albrecht, who was the lead auditor of this on this audit, to come join me and uh, provide more detail as I run through this. Um, so the North Satellite Renovation Project was a subset of the North the North Star or North SeaTac Airport Renovation Program, which is a much larger program, overarching program. And that includes other North Main Terminal improvements, North Baggage System improvements, elevators and concourse improvements. So this, even though it was a $700 million project, it's just a subset of a much larger umbrella project. And uh, the North Sat opened in July of 2021, and every... Um, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was um, confirming your dollar amount as $700 million. Was that correct? Yeah, $712 okay, million. Dollars. Got it's it. a large project. We'll go to the, and, and, and it's got it on the next slide. Sorry. Um, it, it opened in July of 2021. You know, it's the beautiful new North Concourse that everyone's seen, I, I hope. Um, or you will see when you travel through SeaTac soon. You know, um, there's uh, some some highlights of the program. We went from 12 gates to 20 gates. You know, um, so it added um, quite a few gates. It also created the first permanent nursing suite, some uh, a secure pet relief area, and uh, all-purpose build build airside loading dock. And for those that want to know what an all-purpose build airside loading dock is, we had something from the airside, from the runway side, that was built in the 60s, I believe, and this just replaced it and made it more efficient. We have tenants that need refrigerated food and drink that need to go into the restaurants. We have uh, a lot of green composting, recycling that needs to go out and come in. So, you know, it just modernizes the loading from the air side rather than the land side. So uh, just uh, improvements and innovation and, and more of a green feel to it also. And then finally, um, you know, we have 10 new stores and restaurants out there that uh, uh, provides for a great experience for all the traveling public. Next slide, please. So as I mentioned, Commissioner Muhammad, yeah, it's large. It's a lot of money. and. Uh, you know, there are bigger ones coming down the pipeline, but this is a huge project. 
Uh, it was done in partnership with Alaskan Airlines, and Alaska Airlines also had some things that they wanted to do, so they had their individual portion that they paid on this. Hensel Phelps was selected as a general contractor, and um, you know, a lot of this project, when, when you see a construction cost of $458 million and then some change orders, there's also a lot of soft costs in this. So that means port employees and others that are working on this project, that get other items that get capitalized to it. So when you look at that uh, $250 plus million, um, those are all the other costs that uh, are added to this project. And um, you know, as required, as we talked about, the independent auditor, R.L. Townsend, which is a Wimby firm, was um, partnered with the port to perform the independent audit. So next slide, please, Michelle. So we have two findings in this report, and I'm going to talk through them. I'll provide a quick overview, and then Jenny, who did the audit and really knows the details, will um, get down into the weeds a little bit more. But you know, we specifically looked at uh, force account change orders in this. So there were about $30 million in change orders, and uh, out of that, $2.3 million were for overtime. So that's really what we looked at. And, uh, you know, there's an overarching project, but there were other things that were looked at by uh, R.L. Townsend and Associates. And, um, you know, there's the the model that we're using going forward is let's look at the project through several stages in its phase, uh, uh, several phases of its you know of its life. I, I will point out that we looked at other sections of this project in the past and made comments and had findings in other sections. And then at the last audit committee, I pointed out what um, some of the things that R.L. Townsend identified. You know, savings of a couple two million dollars through their work that were you know saved to the port brought back to the port. Um, in overtime, we noted, uh, you know, there was a lot of overtime. Um, there were cases where people worked upwards of 16 hours a day, sometimes 23 hours a day, and 88 hours in uh, a seven-day period, which is a lot. Um, we found issues where, you know, when, when we went to look at them, we found a variety of discrepancies, and, and Jenny will get into a little bit more detail on, on the types of discrepancies that we found. But uh, we did confirm that we paid for those hours, so those people actually got paid for their work. But we don't. We have an opportunity to improve our tracking systems. Were they on site? Were, you know, how do we know they were there for those hours? And if they were, uh, we, you know, do we have opportunities to build better controls going forward? The port is, you know, is about to embark on spending a lot and even more on capital costs um, on construction as we move forward. And as we climb that huge mountain in capital costs, you know, uh, we we add value to the port by saying how can we build better controls so we can better manage this going forward. The seventy-nine thousand that we have here noted were just for mistakes and errors that we found, but uh, there were many situations where we just didn't have, you know, we, it was, um, we had to rely on data that we had or there really wasn't adequate data to, you know, that to uh, uh, say one way or another. So with that, I'll go to the next slide and, and let Jenny introduce herself and uh, speak to a little bit. Sure. To what Hi. She said. I'm Jenny Albrecht and 
as Glenn said, I was the lead auditor for this um, audit. So for the pre-approval process, um, we reviewed the force accounts, which are basically what the contractor submits to the port for their timesheet, or their four timesheets, basically. They have um, the person's name and how many hours they work in their daily. Um, so the force accounts require overtime to be pre-approved, and then for that pre-approval documentation to be attached. Um, so during the audit, the documentation was um, not attached to the change orders. And so we talked to the CM group and they said that they had verbal and email conversations regarding overtime, but the documentation was not maintained. So one of the requirements is both before overtime is incurred, there needs to be both pre-approval and post-approval through this, you know, it's just a form that's supposed to be filled out or some sort of pre-approval. Mm -hmm. So I, I think as Jenny said, Pre-approvals did not exist, and post-approvals, she's got an example of what was missing. Yes, okay. so, so the next section, post-approvals. So without those post-approvals, um, the force account invoices should not have been paid. Those post-approvals are basically um, the approval for payment. Um, so we listed two change orders there that we totaled up the number of approvals that were present and missing. So. Those were the um, examples of the documentation that lacked um, those post approvals. And with this um, project, there were several approvals on there. There was, I think, five different signature lines. Um, so those are just a tally of the number that were missing. For the uh, review process, so when we were reviewing what was paid, there were instances when supporting documentation was inaccurate or not present, totaling almost $80,000. Um, examples include instances with the change orders were missing the supporting documentation or the invoices, um, instances in which hours reported on the certified payroll reports did not match the daily force account forms, so the port pays based on the daily force account forms. Um, and then when we trace those number of hours to the payroll, it was either over or under in some instances. And then there were inconsistencies between the number of contractors reported on site by the inspector and the number of contractors the port paid. So some examples are there were instances when the inspector wrote on the daily force account that he witnessed there were 17 workers on site, um, but the port paid for the 26 workers listed on the force account. So there's a discrepancy there. Another instance was the inspector wrote there were 23 workers on site, but the port paid for 30 workers. And then the last one um, example is the inspector wrote there were 13 workers on site, but the port paid for 26. So those are just examples of discrepancies that didn't get, um, that basically went through the review process without, um, you know, getting some extra attention. Yeah, and commissioners, I do want to point out that First, we're looking at a very small subset of a huge project. So we're just looking at force count overtime at that 2.3 million. Um, and we're looking, I believe, at one um, vendor, one, one subcontractor. There were two, two for two, overtime. Two yeah. that you're looking at for mm -hmm. overtime. So a very small segment. 
But, you know, our recommendations are, when I'll go into that, are more towards how do, you, how do we improve our processes going forward. By all means, you know, on this larger project, this, the project as a whole was successful and, you know, was delivered on time um, and was one of the better projects at the port. So I, I don't want to say the project was poorly run or anything. These are just opportunities for improvements. And, and you're going to see some discrepancies when, when you're looking at a project of this magnitude. I also want to point out that Janison and her team, you know, we were great, the great partners, the construction management team. Uh, we work very closely together and, um, you know, jointly work on ironing out the issues and making sure that we're aligned in what we're seeing. Um, so, you know, everyone can improve and move forward together. Mm -hmm. Is there anything? Yes, Commissioner. Um, so m my question is, um, obviously this is such a huge project and there's over 700 million that went into it um, and you guys just looked at one subsection of, mm -hmm. it, of the project. Um, in a project that that's this big and costly, um, how many subsets could you possibly look at or are there is there something that triggers it? Does the dollar amount trigger um, an audit? I'm sure everything triggers an audit at the port with its cost. Related. Yeah, with this cost, you know, there's going to be several audits that are ongoing, and, and you have different approaches as you're moving forward. Like I mentioned, you know, the RCW requires continuous auditing for some things. Um, you know, so I think um, what, what we looked at are little chunks. In, our internal audit team, because you know it's, it's obviously such a large project, we looked at two segments of it, two very small parts of it in, in the past over the last couple of years, um, and we have improvement opportunities that we're hoping the board can take forward. But going forward, what we want to try to do is, as the external independent firm, uh, RL Townsend Associates, is working, Jenny and her team, you know, want to embed themselves into the project and. Um, yeah, and, and do more of continuous auditing through the course of a project. So we're not waiting till the end when we find things that could be a problem, but helping the port change course and build controls earlier through the life cycle of the project. So does that answer your question? That's very helpful. Thank you. And is there anything else? You want? No. Okay. So, so I'm going to, next slide, please provide a met, you know, our recommendations, and then I'll hand it over to Janazan and her team to provide a management response. But um, our recommendations are reasonably straightforward, um, is on, on the force account overtime requirements, just let's, um, you know, uh, enhance our review process to make sure that we're complying. And um, a, a big part of this also is uh, the responsibility of in this case, Hensel Phelps of the GCCM, right? So um, hold them accountable and make sure that they're doing what we're paying them to do as well. And, uh, you know, the, the next thing, as I mentioned, is um, going forward, this is an opportunity for the port to enhance, require subcontractors to better track time through a timekeeping system or something, you know, that's more sophisticated than what we have right now. I think, you know, the port has our badges where you scan in, but nobody scans out. So, you know, when people showed up or scanned in, if, if they use their badge to get to the job site, but you never know when they left. Even the off-site parking garage, you know, where you scan in when you come in, 
but then you just the gate opens when you're leaving, so you don't know when they came and left. So we we're recommending to the port to, to you know require this in the contracts perhaps because it, even if the port enhances our own badging system, it'll probably be a few years before we get to that. I believe Denver does something like that. Um, so we have some opportunities there. And then on the smaller amount, the $79,000, you know, uh, we have provided that detail to construction management, and we ask them to review that and seek any any amounts that are over billings and unsupported and due to the port. So with that, Janice, uh, thank you so much for your partnership, and it's your uh, the floor is all yours to provide your response. Great. Do you have that on the slide as well, Glenn? We do. The, our response? Okay, great. There we go. Well, I was going to say, I just want to express appreciation because we are all about making sure that we are embarked on continuous improvement and appreciate the partnership with internal audit to do this work. You know, when we look at these uh, findings and information, I always ask about the, is it a process and a system improvement? Is there additional staff training? We've appreciated having RL Townsend actually we contracted with them early on in the project so that we were actually setting up the project properly and getting their guidance in addition to uh, Glenn's group. So these are very helpful to better understand that with the controls we have, what are some things that are still being um, missed that we could improve on? And so in those three areas, you know, we really see the response in, in three ways. One is to look at our force account requirements and processes and what are the kind of modifications we might want to make and working with our other partner departments within the port of the central procurement office, project management and legal to look at what additional things we might want to do. I think this might have been a case where we co-locate with our GCCM to better communicate, but at times when you're sitting right next to the contractor, perhaps some of that uh, conversation doesn't get documented in the degree that we would expect it to. So we appreciate learning that. Um, the second one about just looking at how we best better track contractor personnel on site. Again, this is one we wanna work with our partner departments to look at what we might wanna consider. And then lastly, taking this information and working with Hensel Phelps to determine what level of um, of recovery and overbilling we would pursue. This contract is not yet closed, so we still have the opportunity to deduct any amounts that may have been overpaid from the contractor. And I would say that this is one we appreciate working with internal audit, because I would say that several years ago, internal audit would come in at the very end of the project and audit and you know, more recently, it's been more of a process where they're coming in and working with us uh, during the life of the contract and not just at the very end when everything's already closed. Because then if there is something that needs to be addressed, it becomes more problematic to um, address over billings. So um, questions or, or additional thoughts? Excellent. Glenn, is that the end of your presentation as well? No, we're going to go one more issue in this, but oh, okay. uh, and, and Janice will respond. Any questions for Janice and their management response? Go for it. 
I guess I, I have some questions on the this issue in general. Mm -hmm. um, so some of these are for Glenn and team. Uh, the first one is I'm trying to reconcile the ports portion is 712 billion, but the contract was for 458 with Hansel Phelps. So did they only do a portion of it then? So, so like I said, uh, the the Hansel Phelps part that's what was billed by Hansel Phelps to the port. Um, the the port also has teams that work through the course of this is a multi-year project, right? So we've got engineers, staff, port personnel, port support systems. They're, they're called the soft costs that get capitalized through the course of the project. Okay. So the bulk of that, those other funds are port-related Okay, costs. so they're internal and, costs. Okay, thank you. And then... Can I, can I, and, can I add so one you, yeah, thing? Please. I believe that the um, Alaska uh, Lounge is also part of the part of these costs that includes some port reimbursement. So it isn't just soft costs. There are uh, a multitude of pieces that go on the overall program. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, thank you, Janice. You're, you're spot on. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then on the recommendation and the issues we found, so I guess I want to make sure I'm understanding. So the 79,000 is basically resulting in the post-approval pieces that were missing documentation. Why aren't we including the ones that didn't have the pre-approval? Why are we distinguishing that? Um, the pre-approval, when we spoke and um, interviewed Janice's CM team, um, they told us that they had conversations with Hensel Phelps during the process of um, the project. And as Janice said, um, you know, they were frequently in a off-site trailer together, working together. Mm. And when we interviewed the CM team, they said oftentimes we would walk over and talk to Hensel Phelps and, you know, talk about what work needed to be done. It just wasn't documented as it is required to be kept as documentation. Okay, and then I guess from the audit perspective, is there a reason when we found these variances that we didn't decide to expand testing or even do like uh, extrapolation of this is the amount of errors based on the amount that we're actually testing, this could be the total volume of errors? So we did the largest change orders in our review. Um, the smaller ones didn't get reviewed. Um, and then it wasn't statistical sampling, so we couldn't okay. extrapolate. We did full testing of the change orders that we reviewed, um, which were the two or three main subcontractors that were not part of Townsend's review, so not the mechanical contractor and not the electrical contractor since those were reviewed by Townsend. Um, so we reviewed the others that were big. So Mid-Mountain, um, PCS, and Northwest Partitions okay. were the three. And then the last bullet on here, inconsistencies between the number of contractors, like the numbers that you cited where we paid a certain amount but they said they saw a different amount, is that included in the 79,000 number? It is not. We, Why? Because we're unable to determine whether the workers were actually on site or not, which workers were on site and which ones were not on site but part of that um, force account. I guess when I step back and look at like putting all this together, so we didn't, we don't have documentation of the pre-approvals and then we have 
these situations where we saw a pretty significant number of, I saw X number of people on site versus the number of people we paid in the small sample we used. And then you add to that that we also don't do any kind of badging in and out and we have people saying they're working possibly 23 hours a day. Like that could all add up to a significant amount of money. Like put together, that's a pretty significant control problem in my mind that we have several layers here that could add up to millions of dollars easily mm -hmm. when you look at all of these together. So I guess I'm concerned with like the response is that basically we'll meet and consider adding a requirement. I feel like that needs to be pretty strongly considered. Like this could be a huge, a huge area for improvement and a huge area where we could be paying costs that we shouldn't be paying. So I'm pretty concerned. Thanks. Agreed. And I will note that you know through the review um, that uh, R.L. Townsend and Associates did uh, recover a couple million dollars through their work, and we did not look at those contractors. Janice, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the, the piece related to the cost recovery of the overbilling, uh, we are looking at that and confirming what costs uh, were missed by our staff that we paid that shouldn't have been paid. And then the piece related to tracking personnel is the reason that the response is written this way is because we really want to work as a team to better understand what level of tracking of personnel we want to implement instead of um, putting out a response that um, hasn't been thoughtfully considered. But is it safe to say that there are going to be modifications, right? Like, because the word to, to consider modifications sounds like there could also not be any. I think that's the point Sarah's making. And so I think it's safe to say that, you know, given the lessons learned, that we will make some changes to adjust. We're just not committing to anything specific right now, correct? I would say yes, uh, but I would leave that to Janice. And I will also say that. Um, you know, um, we do, we will present, come back to the committee with our follow-up to let you know through what, what has been done and, uh, you know, what those decisions are. Janice, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I would say yes to your point, Glenn. Uh, we will be working with internal audit on, as we look at the facts and the information, what are, what are ultimately we're going to be doing differently and at that point we'll have an opportunity to work closely with audit about whether what we're doing is appropriate or not in terms of uh, changes and then on the first point like I was mentioning I want to make sure that we're we're looking at this carefully to see whether this is a systemic what systemic or process changes might be needed versus whether this is something that we need some additional staff training. So is it a discrete um, issue or are there some systemic process changes that are needed? And we want to have the time to, um, to work through that. Great, thank you. Uh, anything else? I guess I'll just say there, you know, this whole issue um, points to also the amount of there's significant staff time that goes into this. And so I am looking forward to, to hearing and learning more about the sort of controls that will be put in place to 
ensure that we're preventing um, issues like this from happening. Thank okay. you all. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioner. And Commissioner, you're absolutely right. On, on a go-forward basis, you know, and, and Ms. Holstrom, uh, we're take, looking at it from a perspective of we, we, we hear you, we understand, and you're, you're very correct. Um, but, you know, the way we can add value at this point is, say, these are the controls we need to put in place as, you know, we've been, as Steve Metric, our executive directors, put it before, we've you know, climbed smaller mountains like Rainier, and we're about to embark on Everest, and a large mountain, and huge capital spend, and we need to put these controls in place. Great. And so with that, I think we next have... Next issue. Sa same, same audit. Yeah. Next <laughs> issue. <laughs> okay, this is a low-rated issue on, on the same audit. Uh, it's a safety issue. And, and Hensel Phelps and the project had a very... Uh, safe, a, a very good safety record. There weren't very many injuries, you know, in a project this size. But nonetheless, you know, what we we recorded it and noted it because safety is so important at the port, and especially with everything we do. Uh, you know, in this case, you've got people that might be working long hours for for concrete pours or whatever else. But there were also carpenters and other individuals that were working, you know, long, long hours, and Clearly, when you do get, you know, work those kinds of hours, you can get fatigued, you can get injured, and sometimes it's, you know, maybe not um, the right thing to do to have somebody work that many hours when you can have two shifts and provide a more reasonable balance. Um, you know, Jenny has done a lot of work here, so I'm going to let her provide a little bit more detail. Otherwise, uh, you know, we, it, it would never have come to light that uh, this would have just been okay, we've got to better track hours, but she highlighted the safety impacts of this as well, of working many hours. So Jenny, please. Sure, and um, just to note, this is just one contract, so one subcontractor, Mid-Mountain, um, that we included tables showing the number of instances that um, workers build the port for more than 12 hours um, a day. So we totaled over 1,600 instances where they worked 12, 12 or more hours, so upwards of 23 hours in a day. Um, you know, some of the reasons that we were told is sometimes they do a cement pour and they're required to be there all day. Um, you know, they may not be physically working during that entire time, but they're required to be there all day and then they need to be there once the cement gets a little bit harder and Janice may be able to talk to that more so that they can um, actually smooth the cement out and finish the product. Um, so those were examples of the upwards of 20 to 23 hours that we um, identified. So, you know, we just wanted to separate this out because it, you know, construction work is manual labor, it's dangerous, um, you know, if you're doing it with fatigue, um, it, it can lead to you know unintended consequences of something bad um, so as we said um, as we learned with Janice and team um, they did have a very good safety rating um, so that we didn't see any safety concerns with this project um, but we do feel that there should be processes in place um, to ensure that folks don't work as many hours as they did on this project in the future um, so 
the number of hours and then also on the next slide um, we noted the number of consecutive days in a row um, so upwards of 25 days um, <laughs> more than you know 25 days some 15 to 24 days in a row um, these are averaging 10 to 11 hours a day um, so just concerns that we had that we wanted to bring to light as far as safety. Uh, so our recommendations on the next slide is to review the safety policies at the port to determine if there should be a limit on either the number of hours somebody can work in a day or the number of consecutive days somebody can work in a row. And, and Janice, to you to provide a response and then we'll take questions. Yeah, so, so on this particular area, we also very much care about safety on our job sites and we have started to uh, pull a group of internal department folks together to uh, look at what changes we might want to or what things we might want to include our, in our contract in this area recognizing that uh, safety on construction sites are primarily a contractor responsibility yet these are our construction sites so we very much also care about safety i you know i have a question um are are there not any stipulations in project labor agreements or or the cvas on consecutive days or number of hours per day worked um our pla talks about working conditions and um, pay for workers how many uh, after how many work hours you're required to provide breaks the working the conditions of having spaces for people to take workers to take breaks it talks about when you're required to pay time and a half double time for workers so those are the type of things that is typically addressed in RPLAs. I don't believe that it specifically has any uh, limits on hours. That's something I would want to check back with our construction labor um, manager to make sure that I don't um, misspeak on this item. And think, it's my yeah. understanding that there are not, in, in agreement with Janice, it's my understanding there's not a limit on the number of hours or the number of days in a row unfortunate but they are represented members right yes union mm -hmm. okay any other questions for for Janice or for the team so so Commissioner just a, a couple things um, Jenny before you leave I, I, I do think safety is important at the port we have we're promoting a safety culture we're demonstrating trying to demonstrate safety and, and be stewards of safety you know, I, I think Jenny put a lot of time and effort digging into this issue and gathering data. Uh, one of the things uh, we, we try to do is, um, you know, recognize that. And, and uh, so, so I'd like to say congratulations and thank you to Jenny for her effort on this. Appreciate it. And Commissioner Cho, if you'd like to add. Absolutely. Anything. Jenny, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge and uh, recognize your terrific work. I know you went beyond the call of duty to notice this pattern and to identify and bring it to us today and so it's actually my pleasure to um, present to you a challenge coin uh, that we have uh, created here I think Katie Gerard is the one who created this this is uh, one that commemorates those who have focused and uh, and put safety as a priority which is one of our core 
um, values here at the Port of Seattle. So it's my honor to present this challenge according to you for that real great work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Jenny. Moving on to commissioner, it's to you. Absolutely. Um, item number nine before us is an information technology audit report regarding security incident response management for ICT and aviation maintenance. Glenn, go ahead and proceed. Thank you, commissioners. I'm going to, well, we've got Bruce Clausal and Ritika Marwaha, our IT audit folks. We'll let them introduce themselves, the issue, and they'll be doing the talking today and right now on this. Well, good afternoon. I'm Bruce Clausel, the port's IT audit manager. Um, I don't actually have much to do today because our audit that we're talking about today was performed by my senior IT auditor, Ritika Marwaha, and she's going to lead you through the results of the audit. Thank you, Bruce. Good afternoon, commissioners, Ms. Holstrom. My name is Ritika Marwaha. Like Bruce mentioned, just for the record, I'm stating that, and I'm a senior IT auditor with the port. Uh, so we performed this audit to um, evaluate the adequacy of internal controls uh, related to the processes around security incident response management to assure uh, the protection of critical information and systems. Uh, the scope of this audit covered uh, port's four main networks, uh, which are managed by the port's information and communication technology department, as well as aviation maintenance. Um, next slide, please. Michelle, thank you. Uh, security incident response is part of the um, 18 critical center for internet security controls and these are primarily a set of prioritized actions that are recommended for organizations for cyber defense. Um, I just wanted to provide a little background on the difference and the terminology that we're using which is security incident versus security event. Um, a security event is any occurrence during which a company's data or records may have been exposed. And a security incident, on the other hand, is a, uh, is a security event, however, which might result in a data breach or a privacy breach. Uh, just as an example, if there was a patching delay, that would be considered an event. Uh, but if someone was to hack the port systems in the meantime, that would result in a, or would be classified as a security incident. Um, the primary goal of um, incident response is to identify threats that are being faced by an organization and to respond to those so that they don't spread uh, and also remediate them before they cause any harm. Based on the results of our audit, we noted that the security incident response management processes for all our in-scope networks were uh, designed well and they were operating effectively. And that concludes my presentation. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer those. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, j just a general comment that these are important cybersecurity controls, and like I said, and we mentioned earlier, there's state and federal regulations that require us to have these processes in place. So, uh, you know, these audits, uh, even though if it's a clean audit, it's a good thing for the port. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Yeah. Excellent. And I will just like to add that uh, an incident response plan is important in helping uh, minimize the risk of operational disruption as well. I think I missed that point. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your work. Great. All right, Glenn, we can go on to item number 10, which is the Avis Budget Car Rental LLC audit. Thank you, Commissioners. The last audit that we have to discuss today is uh, a concession audit on Avis Budget Car Rentals. And Dan Chase, who's our um, auditor here that did the work, will speak to this audit. 
Should I wait until he comes back or should I just dig yeah. into it? Please continue. Just go. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So it is the last audit on the agenda that we'll t be talking about. So I'm just going to go straight to the um, to the low rated issue that was identified, if that's okay. Um, so as you know, we talked about at the last audit committee that there's a customer facility charge or a CFC that's um, charged daily for each rental car. Um, and then those monies are collected by the rental car company and then passed through to the port. So again, we tested 100% of the transactions, just under uh, 700,000 transactions, I believe it was, um, and identified a relatively small figure, $2,645 of CFCs that should be paid to the port. Um, we've communicated with Avis and they've agreed uh, with, that, with that number. Um, so a second part of the issue is that we identified potentially overbilling of the CSCs to the customers, which was paid to the port, uh, about $110,000. And so a nuance to the contract that I don't think we went over last time is that the contract allows for up to a 25-hour period for the first day, and then subsequent days it's a 24-hour period. So for example, if somebody were to come and rent a car at 10 a.m. on Monday, they return it the following day at 11.01 a.m. the following day, they would be charged two days of CFC, and that would be passed through the port. So it's important for us to understand if they're using a 24, because they, they, they can choose, the rental car companies can choose whether it's 24 hours, 25 hours, or somewhere in between. And so once we find out what they're using, then we use that methodology when we're actually performing our test. Um, Avis uses that 25-hour period, so that's so we modified our testing to make sure that it, it matched that and, and still came up with $110,000 that was overbilled. So um, we've had some limited discussion or communication via email with Avis and haven't received a, a, a strong answer yet, so there's still ongoing um, discussions. But um, we, we've kind of talked through this, and, and most likely what will happen is we're not, the port's not going to reimburse Avis for that $110,000 unless Avis shows that they've reimbursed those customers, those individual customers, which I think is around seven, 17,000 customers. Operationally, I, I just doubt that's going to happen because you're going to be going back three years and there's, you know. Um, so most likely it's not going to get reimbursed. But we don't really know what the reason is for the overbilling. And so finding out what that, what, what the root cause was will, will help us kind of decide, you know, what, what approach to take. The idea with this tool that we're using is that we use it over and over and then over time we hopefully will find zero discrepancies and there'll be and and so that's the way that you know the tool that we can that we're implementing you know can help them you know and we can identify maybe areas that they're not billing it correctly so um, that's all I had Glenn do you want to add yeah just else or? what you know it it's a relatively small amount the hundred nine thousand when you look at the thirty million dollars in concession fees that we might you know over a period of time collect from uh, customers. But, you know, unless you're one of those constituents or customers that gets overbilled and is trying to fix, you know, something on your bill, then it can be a little aggravating. So by doing this process, 
we we make sure that our airport customers are charged accurately and correctly also you know and so um, Avis has to go back and fix their systems for this and and we provide a service to the traveling public that you know we're going to be fair and make sure that you get billed correctly for the amounts um, so that's a key thing there Michelle next slide so and Dan you want to so our recommendation is just simply to collect the the 2645 plus interest and fees which um, I think is in process now and then we will uh, continue to when I say we the aviation commercial management team will take the lead but we'll partner with them and try to understand you know work with Avis to understand what what's causing the variance simple as that Commissioner Cho, you, you missed the whole thing, but if you have any questions. Well, fortunately, I always get pre-briefings from Glenn before. The <laughs> so, um, you know, I was wondering, um, is there any mechanism or way for us to, uh, I mean, obviously it's tough to go back and identify exactly which customers have been over overcharged, but um, is there any accountability measure with our agreement with Avis when it comes to these, you know, faux pas, let's just call it? I, I, I want to believe it wasn't intentional. <laughs> well, well, you do have Jeff Foster on the line that's going to answer that for you. Jeff, it's all yours. Good afternoon, Commissioner and uh, public members. So my name is Jeff Foster, I'm a property manager in our aviation commercial management team. Um, I just wanted to um, state that so commercial management, we are still working with Avis budget. Um, there does appear to be some discrepancies on the the CFC, the final amount for the potential overcharge. Um, they're, they're, they use a 25-hour a period in general, but there are still some questions that we have that, that they have, they're going back to their teams to uh, relate to us because we want to we want to understand exactly what is their threshold. Is it the 25-hour or as we suspect, they're actually using like a 24 hour and 30 minute or 24 hour and 29 minutes. So that piece is still outstanding that we are working with them on. And then that would help inform um, how much, if any, is there an actual overcharge? And then what are the reasons why for that overcharge? Because we wanna make sure first and foremost that our customers are not being overcharged um, and that the, these mistakes, if there are any that once we've, we come to final agreement on the number, um, that they are corrected in the future and we do not have this as a repeat. Since Avis is one of our largest rental car companies, they are a frequent um, subject of audits by Glenn's team. And I just, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Maura, Dan Chase, and the entire audit team for the work that they put in during this audit. And to answer your question specifically, Commissioner Cho, there isn't a specific aspect within the lease that we have other than the fact that they are required to correctly um, identify. So that is something that we will continue to work on and hold them accountable as much as we can under our agreement to ensure that our customers are being charged accurately. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, and I apologize if I missed this, but you know, you have the absolute number here, $109,835, but I'm wondering, what is the what was the average overcharge amount and do we know how many people were overcharged so seventeen thousand four hundred thirty-five uh transactions i believe that's customers okay. so I, the average would be i don't know what whatever you, i can't do that mentally. i know it's, you can it's, divide it's you can divide seven dollars so i think it's just yeah. one 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 day per customer <laughs> I, I think is what we're getting at there thank you 
if, my, if I'm doing the question? math correctly. It's all right. We round up here, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? But, but, I mean, I would, I would say, I mean, we, there's 695,000 transactions. And so, you know, as Glenn pointed out, these are relatively small. So that, that's kind of the good, good mm -hmm. news of this as well. You mm -hmm. know, it could have been a lot larger. So, you know, that's good to see. Great. Any other questions for the team on this audit? Great. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So that concludes our public meeting business agenda. The committee has no security I, sensitive. I, I did I'm have sorry. one thing. To oh, say. you did. You're, oh, just, yeah, just one forward. announcement that's not related to the audit. But yeah. Mora Omuego, who did the the lion's share of this audit, this is going to be her last audit committee. She's oh. on Friday is her last. Next Friday is her last day. She's going to be what's that? No, yep, she's still at the port. She's going to our central procurement office. Oh, okay. So that, right. that's a good right. thing. CPO. Um, so we're happy for her, but we want to thank her for the great work that thank she's doing. Thank you very much. But now she can be audited, so that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she knew that. <laughs> All right. That concludes our public meeting uh, business agenda. The committee has no security sensitive items to discuss in non-public session today, so we'll move to closing comments at this time. Mr. Fernandez, do you have any closing comments for us today? Uh, the only comment I have is thanks to Jeff Foster and his team and Ground Transportation and Janice Zahn and her team for working with us on these audits. And, and thank you, commissioners, for being here today as well. So. Absolutely. Are there any closing comments from the members of this committee? I guess I'll just echo those words and thank all of the staff who presented today and thank you all for your hard work to ensure that um, our port remains being transparent and accountable to the public. Thank you. Excellent. I echo those sentiments. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Hearing no further comments and if there are no objections, the meeting is adjourned at 4.18 p.m. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner.